In this week's Need to Know, Uncle Jojo addressed the nation while Cousin Kamala was ready and red, and we have our thoughts. And by we, I mean Isaiah. In all the fields, we're talking about sex and it's not even October. And in Gotta Do, Fit February continues and the Prince of Hearts is back to tell us all about hypnosis, the podcast that encourages you to know, feel, and do to live your very best life. This is Warden Webster. Hello. Hello. Hello, Bianca. I'm going to ask you to lean into your mic. Um, you were hardly audible in your opening to the show. Uh, I would ask you to redo it, but you know what? The Wanderers probably don't want to hear it anyway. How are you doing? <laughs> I cannot stand you. And then anytime where I think um, it's low, then it ends up being real loud. So what are you talking about? Maybe your volume isn't up. Are your things connected? All I can really tell you is what I hear in my ear. That's it. That's all. That's, that's all I can tell you. Um, today's episode of Warren Webster is brought to you by the letter X for Xanax. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have some anxiety over here. Let's get right on into these Grammy Awards. <laughs> I do not watch them. But I feel like I know everything that happens based on the memes between Madonna and Bonnie Raitt and <laughs> Harry Styles and Lizzo. I think I got the whole show in memes alone. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very meme-worthy time. I watched it. I watched the same as I did last year. I watched from the beginning to the end. And I was very surprised, very proud of myself. Also, I really, you know, I really like that there Trevor Noah and he um, hosted last year, which is why I watched again. Um, highlights for me, the 50 year anniversary of hip hop performance had some of my faves, a little Queen Latif out there, some salt and pepper, some who else was out there? Big boy. It was it was quite a few. It was a, it was a good time. I was definitely iced tea um, bopping in the bedroom. So that was cute. <laughs> Bonnie Ray, the look on her face when she won because she was shooketh. <laughs> Cause she definitely didn't think it was going to be her honey. Um, <laughs> she said, wait, wait, what? I just, I just came to sing the in memoriam song. <laughs> Hands down the amazing Viola Davis officially becoming an EGOT. And unfortunately, you know, they do all of those awards that are not televised. So that one wasn't televised, but she did then present. Um, she looked amazing. It was wonderful. I was thinking to myself, is Sam Smith, I feel like, is Sam Smith like just the more out queer, magically British gay version that George Michael didn't get to be? Like if, <laughs> I, I don't know why I, I always, I think of the two of them, like I, I think, what do they say? George Michael walked so Sam Smith could run. No, no, not a single person says that, Bianca, because <laughs> um, um, George Michael was significantly more talented than Sam Smith. That's a nice statement. You don't think it's, oh, wow. 
that's my opinion. And this is a show about my opinion. So there you have it. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think, I don't know. No, Sam Smith is fine, but they, they are what they are. I, th- there's no comparison between Sam, name a Sam Smith song that anybody that's not a Sam Smith fan could sing. His- Whereas George Michael had faith. He had father figure. He had a, he had a whole catalog. He was literally transcendent. He was. Sam Smith is nowhere near that. But I wonder if George Michael were alive today. I think about I think about that uh, I think about the out proudness that Sam Smith gets to experience that and we've talked about George Michael before him and the bathroom and the whole situation like if George Michael were alive today would he be able to live in his full glory? I don't, I don't, I don't see them as analogous. I think really? that Sam Smith is more of a boy George than a George Michael. That's just my <gasps> Ooh, opinion. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think that George Michael and Sam Smith are even on the same wavelength. I think Sam Smith and boy George would be closer. You know what? Okay. Damn it. I forgot about boy, boy George and my mother loved that their culture club. <laughs> My bad. Take that back. But no, I used to like Sam Smith's earlier stuff. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Beyonce was robbed. <laughs> so yes, she became the most, she's won more Grammys than anyone else. But the fact that she still has never won album of the year. I, I was looking at um, Lovey, awesomely Lovey, the, the blogger. She's a lot of things. But anyway, she had this this post, this kind of video and was like, Yes, it's wonderful that Beyonce is is now the most decorated Grammy artist, but she compared it to if you win, um, if you get employee of the week at your job for like 40 weeks or whatever in a row, but never get employee of the year, like you can get, you can be recognized so greatly so many times, but that one thing that like, hmm really could matter you don't receive like what does that what does that mean so i felt for her so a couple of things a couple of thoughts i have about this i do mm-hmm. feel like she has been nominated enough in this category that she should have won by now and i think the people that she's gotten consistently beaten by their catalog of work their body of work to me again i stay <laughs> second time i've said that in this show we're only five minutes in to me do not they don't hold a camel to hers now, to be fair to the Grammy voters, I have not heard a single song of Harry Styles' album. Have you? I'm sorry, who? <laughs> okay. No, except now, the one that's in the commercials. Like I'll hear random ones in commercials, but okay. No. Now this goes back to the to the to what I said to you about the Academy, the Motion Picture Academy, when they decided mm. to give Anthony Hopkins an Oscar over Chadwick Boseman, and at the time we were in our feelings about it, but neither one of us had seen. Anthony's performance so it is it really is hard to say that her album was better than his if we haven't heard his album to be fair but having said that she's now lost enough times where you can say look in all these tries she should have won by now so that's what I'm gonna go with same um are you gonna listen to Harry Styles album absolutely not (laughs) because because look I'm not a member of the Beehive I don't I don't really give a fuck really who wins these awards I think that it's interesting to talk about it but I don't I don't if they never gave her another award I wouldn't care and I don't think she should care either we should not allow white people in their awards to have any conference of our worth who who gives a fuck what the recording academy thinks about Beyonce really do you I do not and she can be out here selling tickets for a million dollars so it don't really don't matter that part that part i do want to have a conversation about her majesty madonna 
people were saying, <laughs> Bianca, that she showed up to the Grammys with a quote unquote new face. Now, I follow her on social media. And so to me, the face wasn't new because this is what she's looked like for a while. And as you know, you've even remarked on this show. What is she doing with her face? Da, 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 da. I think a lot of people hadn't seen her in a minute, so they didn't really know what she looked like. But I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Based on how she has been looking the past few months, she actually looked pretty good on Sunday compared to what she's been looking like. <laughs> but a lot of people were like, what is she? She looks unrecognizable and all the rest. It had gotten to such a point that she had to issue, I guess she didn't have to, but she decided to issue a statement saying that she felt like she was being the victim of ageism and people don't want to basically don't want to see women over the age of 45. She went on and she said a bunch of things, but the long and short of it was get out of my face because this is what it is and this is what you're going to get. Just your reaction to the pushback. And do you think she has a point about how obviously she's had work done, but who the fuck cares? A lot of people have work done. And if that's what she, if she's happy, if she's safe and sane, why do we care? Uh, safe and sane? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you follow her more than I. I'm curious to see how that, um, that tour goes. I just, you know, there is a, this ob obsession with youth sometimes that is is unfortunate that I think especially women, probably women in the entertainment industry are not allowed to age. And so I have recently um, heard some folks pushing back on that. I think it was Jamie Lee Curtis, maybe. But the idea that like, well, one, I've said before, it is a gift to get older. Some folks embrace that and what that looks like, literally, and 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 some might not. And sh and Madonna is is making sh decisions and choices, <laughs> but it's not like she's getting like a little Botox or a little something something. Her face looks unwell to me, <laughs> to the point where on the Grammys they were like, "We are not zooming in." <laughs> Everybody else, you could practically see their pores. Madonna was at a 600 feet distance when she was <laughs> announcing the performance. Yes, and I'm on record. I don't I don't like this uh, extreme uh, work that she's had done on her body, not just her face, but other parts of her body. I just think it's unnecessary. I thought she was beautiful before. To me, there's nothing wrong with aging, how you age gracefully, because I think that that is beautiful. But not everyone agrees with that. And I get I get the pressure that these celebrities are under as they age, particularly when someone like her who's in the public eye for so long and was known for so long to be this like this sexualized person. I can only imagine the pressure that she must be under to kind of constantly look young. I will say this. She's made a whole career out of out of doing the opposite of what people think should be done. So in a lot of ways, this is right on brand. She used to change her look quite a bit. We discussed about we discussed that in the Madonna episode. So she's continuing to do that. She looks quote unquote unrecognizable to some people. There's no question that's true. I guess what I'm saying is that who the fuck cares? Does she have to look the same for her whole life? Where's that written? I guess not. And she's <laughs> decided not to. <laughs> if if this is what I'm saying when I say safe and sane. If she is happy with the way that she looks, mm -hmm. more power to her. Because at the end of the day, I really don't give a fuck. I really wish she would go into that into that studio, whatever face she want to use, and give us a new act. <laughs> That's what I want. Come on, whatever face. <laughs> as long as the cheeks move and the mouth to sing, I guess. 
One last thing I just wanted to say, Lizzo seemed to be really over the moon about not only being at the Grammys, but winning. It seems like Beyonce was really happy for her. So when I think about just the clips that I saw, that was one of them. I also love that she was drinking out of a little glass in the audience. I was like, oh, get your whole life at these here Grammys. And then really quickly on the fashions, what did you think? Of Lizzo's in particular or just overall? Well, hers and anyone else you wanted that you found remarkable in any of that? Um, the fashions. I'm trying to think of like who stood out for me. Um, Cardi B on the red carpet in that blue gown situation that she had on was really pretty. But then the the mirror ball looking thing that she <laughs> wore when she came out to present, I didn't love as much. Lizzo looked great. I didn't necessarily like, I didn't love the outfit that she performed and she changed three different times. First of all, let's, hey, she said, I'm gonna give you a red carpet look. I'm going to give you a performance look. I'm going to give you a, let me accept this award look. And I am not mad at it. Uh, but the second one, the performance one, I was like, meh. And then um, I thought Trevor Noah looked dapper the entire time. And he also, well, he's the host, so they change a hundred times anyway. But each time I thought each each tux, each look looked really good. Um, there was nobody else that really stood out for me. J-Lo and Benifer, <laughs> not J-Lo and Benifer, excuse me, Benifer. <laughs> unit what did you make of ben's um most he's probably the most memed it seemed like he was either bored or annoyed or um not drunk enough just what was your take on that so i didn't even realize like they definitely because of where they were sitting i feel like they they were on camera quite a bit because i think they were either near the table next to lizzo or near them with like lizzo and adele and like but um Shayla looked like they, she was having a good time she was in her phone quite a bit but I've now seen pictures of him where he looks miserable <laughs> and I didn't I I didn't realize that until now people are coming back with the receipts yeah I'm wondering why why he decided to go at all I mean he doesn't necessarily have to go with Jayla to the Grammys I mean she she can she's a superstar no matter who's there with her maybe maybe he had agreed to go and then the day of he felt like he couldn't back out but it was it was fairly obvious to me that he didn't really want to be there and I just didn't understand why he just didn't either just tell her he wasn't going to go or just leave because uh, to your point she seemed like in every shot she seemed to be having a real good time she seemed to be of course and also she's in her element right like the the music the musicians like that is where she lives it got me thinking though since they've been married have they had any public appearances? Because this is the first time that I can recall, like clearly seeing them together. They've been photographed, you know, coming and going around, you know, New York and LA. I don't think we've seen them at an award show on a red carpet. And so and maybe that's why. Haven't since the marriage. But again, I'm not looking for them. So correct me if I'm wrong, Wanders, if they've been on somewhere and I, ha and I missed it. But it this is the first time I've seen them like at some sort of, you know, major event together as a married mm -hmm. couple. I don't think this necessarily means anything about their relationship. I just think that Ben was in a foul mood. And you know what? Whatever. Mm-hmm. He said, mm, -mm this, ain't, this ain't my scene. <laughs> We're moving on. In this week's Need to Know, we review Uncle JoJo's State of the Union address to a rowdy, rude, unprofessional Congress and Cousin Kamala in Christian Siriano. She sure was. <laughs> She so sure was. So silly. 
the Constitution says plainly and simply, from time to time, the president will update the Congress on the State of the Union, period. That's what it says. That's all it says. That can be done by sending a pamphlet. <laughs> that can be sent by a phone call. That can be sent by, we good over here. That's all. That's it. That's all. A lot of people are confused as to why we do the State of the Union. What is the point of it? President Reagan really kind of turned these into like events um, at the beginning of the of the 1980s. And I don't know if he was the first one to go to Congress. I don't think he was the first one to go to Congress to do it, but he was the first one to like make it a, a huge television event, primetime and all the rest. I want, I think it's important for people to know, and in terms of his duties, all the president has to do is update the Congress on the State of the Union. It is Congress and the president's choice to have a primetime address where he goes and speaks to all of them where they're sitting down and whatever, whatever. So all of this is unnecessary, really. And it's just based on ceremony and tradition. It's not required. In order for the president to go to the House chamber, he has to be invited. The speaker has to invite him. So whenever you see Joe Biden in the House well giving a speech, he has been invited by the speaker. I make this point, Bianca, because they were treating him the way that they were treating him after they invited him to be there. And I don't think that that is a small point. If you invite someone to your home, and then when they get to your home, you're rude to them, it's fair for that person to say, then why the fuck you invited me here? You didn't, you didn't have to invite me here. We're going to talk about the president's speech, but I think I'd like to start with the way he was treated by the House of Representatives and the Republicans in particular. If y'all don't have an interest in what Joe Biden has to say, there is no rule written anywhere that says you have to invite him there to give a speech. So then if you're not going to respect him, why invite him? I wish I could ask them that because their behavior towards him was wholly inappropriate. It was downright rude. And I just don't get it. I don't get it. You were very clear in terms of inviting people to your house and then being rude to them. I didn't know. Again, you be teaching me. I didn't know that this was a by invitation only situation. That um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, <laughs> as I'm looking at this, at this article and hearing, because I was also hearing about just the fact that she was a heckler, the things that she was yelling and the way that she was carrying on and calling him a liar and them yelling out bullshit and just doing the absolute most. Just, why? Bless, bless his heart. All he was trying to do was update the people and read from that thick ass binder with that 42 point, point font <laughs> and get through his things. So this is where I thought that the Republicans kind of miscalculated. So they've been telling us since the campaign of 2020 that Joe Biden is some feeble old man. He don't know his way around anywhere. He's about to fall over any day now. They have been investing a lot of energy into making us believe that somehow Joe Biden isn't up to the job of the presidency. Like he's just going to, he's going to fall over at any minute. What I found striking about the State of the Union, Bianca, is that when they would yell at him, he would be nimble and he would be sharp in his responses. And like, he was like getting them to agree with him on his terms. He got them completely discombobulated over social security. He actually got the Republicans to agree to his position during the speech, turning the tables on them. And what I thought was the most fascinating about these exchanges is that they really undercut their own argument that he's somehow not up to the task. He came off as sharp. He came off as nimble. He came off as someone who was able to spin on a dime and be like, you know, making his point. At no point 
during the State of the Union? Did I get the impression that he's somehow some feeble old man that can't do the job? And ironically, they helped him make that point by drawing him into these back and forth in the House chamber. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that they're doing themselves any favors by constantly being rude and disruptive. The speaker had warned them not to disrupt him, not to yell, not to be rude in any way, because it really wasn't going to rebound to their benefit. He told them just to either clap or be quiet. And they didn't listen to his advice and they did what they did. And in the framing of the speech afterwards, in every article that I read about the State of the Union, it was all about how they had fallen into uh, Joe Biden's trap, how it had rebounded to his benefit, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see how this continues to go, but I don't think that the Republicans benefited from the way that they performed at that speech. On the substance of the speech, I don't really like State of the Unions because I don't like this laundry list approach to the speech. Like they try to jam all this crap in here. I would prefer, Bianca, that the speech focus on just one or two things and spend like a good 40 minutes doing a deep dive on one or two things. So just for the sake of argument, let's say that you want to spend this year really on these uh, infrastructure projects that they're going to be doing around the country. How about a whole speech on that? We don't need to like try to talk about 20 different things in like a 45 minute speech, because what happens is, is that you get a short amount of time on things that are very important. So abortion is a very important topic right now, particularly for the Democrats. The president spent less than a minute, less than a minute talking about abortion rights. And the reason for that is because they were too busy trying to talk about all this other shit. I really wish they would just make the speech focused on one or two items as opposed to like this kitchen sink laundry list of stuff because so much of it just washes over. In terms of the policy, was there any part of the speech that you can even, you know, recall as the standout um, setting aside, you know, the behavior of the trash ass Republicans? Um, just rewinding real quick. If you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Like, like, like you literally just said, you could clap if you want to clap, or you could just shut the hell up. But I mean, but why? Um, so I will be honest, I was awake the first 30 minutes, and then I wasn't. It was a long day for me. (laughs) So I have been recapping via articles and snippets and all of the things. But I thought I had heard somewhere, maybe it was even today, explained that he had mentioned abortion rights quite a bit. But no, I had heard something that 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 no, it it got one mention and the mention was 42 seconds. Well, damn, set me straight every single time. And also, did he did he really say that like COVID is over? Well, he said that he he said that the administration is going to end the COVID emergency in May, which we knew um, in advance of the speech because they already announced that. So he didn't really say COVID is over. What he did say was that the COVID emergency is Mm -hmm. going to be ending in May. So I think the conclusion you can draw from that is that they believe the COVID emergency is over, which is, as you know, a debatable point. That is true, because I remember um, when he was coming in, they were also talking about this is like the first full house state of the union where everyone was there people weren't in masks except um bernie honey he was masked up he said i'm not playing with (laughs) y'all um so that was definitely something that i was like okay like i i see we 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 are turning an interesting corner when it comes to covid but i don't know i still me i statement i still worry i know that he did um reference the murder of tyree nichols um by the police officers in Memphis and that his parents were were there. I think 
that in itself is i think that is a statement many times i don't know how much how how good that does because i think police officers will always be the ultimate gang and and black and brown folks will will if not many times be the victim and the target so um sometimes moments like that feel performative to me because this is this is happening time and time again to me sometimes it feels i think most times bianca it feels like we're using people as political props this family's in mourning they did invite the vice president to the funeral she and reverend sharpton were there i'm on the fence about it because it, it feels like it feels very propish to me like you could make the point about tyree you could make the point about police brutality you can make the point about how black lives are not valued in this country without bringing people there and, and and asking them to stand up and pointing at them you know you know what i mean and i also think the president has so many other opportunities at their disposal like you can invite the family to the white house you can have a rose garden conversation you can go to to, to their community and and give a speech there. like there's so many different ways to kind of draw attention to the family and to that issue without having them come to the gallery and stand up in front of all of these half of the audiences saying whispering stuff under their breath you know it's just i'm not here for that but at the same time Obviously they went, so it, they maybe it was an honor for them to be invited and maybe it's an honor for them to sit next to the first lady. I don't know how, how people feel about that, but clearly they went, so they must have appreciated the invite on some level. Agreed. You know, it is something that presidents definitely do. Like there's, yeah, this, this, I feel like every state of the union, there is this kind of pulling at the heartstring, but also bringing to light whatever the situation is that they're trying to um, illuminate. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who has been office, who has been in office for about a month, was chosen to give the Republican response to the President's State of the Union address. She started out, believe it or not, she started out good enough. She was talking about her recent uh, battle against cancer. She was suffering from thyroid cancer and, and she beat it. And obviously that's a great, and we certainly were happy to hear that. She shared that her mother had had a bout with cancer. And so, you know, those were all, I thought the best parts of her speech. Then she decided to say a bunch of things that weren't true. Now, if you remember when she was press secretary for President Donald J. Trump of New York, she would often go into the briefing room and lie. When I say lie, y'all, she would just make shit up. And so during her response, she made up quite a few things. I'm just going to give you a Cliff's Notes version of the bullshit that she made up. She insinuated that the president is for defunding the police. He is not. As a matter of fact, he's been clear about the fact that he doesn't believe that that's a policy that, we, that the Democratic Party should pursue. She said that Democrats believe in diversity to a fault meaning that we're focused on woke, quote unquote, things and not things that are impacting the American people. That is an outright lie. Let me tell you what she's done in the first few weeks of her governorship in Arkansas. She has banned the word Latinx because in her words, that's discriminatory towards Latino and Latina people. And so it's interesting, Bianca, that she would accuse us of doing symbolic nothings when one of the first bills that she signed was a bill to outlaw a word that she did not like. Okay, this is me being under a rock because when the hell did she become governor of Arkansas? <laughs> she was elected last year and what? she was sworn in in January. I had no 
idea. I wish people could see my face. So we can, I mean, that that's neither here nor there. That's just, that's where we are. The point is, is that she made a whole lot of really crazy things, crazy mm-hmm. assertions in that response that only people on Fox News would be able to identify with. She went on and on about how she's banning CRT in Arkansas and she's banning oh, racism hell. in schools in Arkansas. To be clear, ain't no school in Arkansas teaching CRT. They weren't teaching it in Arkansas prior to her becoming governor. To be clear, the racism that she's referring to is children in Arkansas learning about racism in schools. And she doesn't think she thinks teaching children about racist America is somehow discriminatory. I don't know to whom. She's off into the wilderness with this nonsense. But here's the thing. She had an opportunity to address the entire country, and she chose to speak to only the people on Fox News who believe this bullshit about wokeism, CRT, all the rest. Like, and and to the extent that she had a missed opportunity, that was it. She didn't talk about. She didn't offer any policies that the Republicans are pursuing. She didn't. Re, she didn't push back on any of the policies that the president raised in his State of the Union. It was all white grievance, Bianca. And when I say white grievance, I'm referring to how white conservatives in this country are just mad about stuff. And 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 every time they get an opportunity to, it's always them being mad about stuff that's that's not that's made up about how their kids are learning stuff in school that they're not learning, about how you and I are, are trying to force wokeism on them. Uh, it's just it's just nonsense. That doesn't impact anyone's lives. Banning words like Latinx does not better anyone's life because if you don't like the word latinx all you have to do is not use it that part (laughs) (sighs) let's move on to the vice president cousin kamala in christian syriana i sent you the picture i knew that it was christian i didn't even say that to you and then suddenly you found out somehow that he did her outfit. What did you think? So I, so I told you what I told you first. I was like, cause you were, yeah. I was like, you know, cousin Kamala is always giving me these monochromatic moments. <laughs> and I want to see, I want to see sis in some prints and some, some, some bold floral patterns <laughs> and some mixing up of the things she she will give purple on purple on purple white on white on white so i was not necessarily moved and then when i saw it it was my little friend christian who did it and i was like oh that's cute (laughs) i changed it up real quick i'm not even gonna lie (laughs) but no i i to to be honest i was like eh, you know i mean does she look great in red yes Absolutely. It was a very, it was a very strong color, you know. It was more maroon than red. Okay. Crimson, whatever. Um, Mm, Crimson, yeah. (laughs) But again, I I just, but like I told you, like if, if she wanted to do some prints or do something a little funky, they would be calling her that, that radical black woman in the, um, in the kente. Well, that's not really her personal style. I think she looks fine. I think she she tries to be professional and just kind of like not overly dramatic in her attire. And I can appreciate that. Like, it's one less thing to think about. Yeah, I guess. I, I, I guess. I just feel like when she was on the, even when she was on the campaign, like, I feel like it was just a little bit, I don't know, before she became vice president. I feel like the outfits were a little bit more fun, but hey, 
she she is she's doing her job like that's she's doing what she got to do and wearing what she has to wear the state of the union is great uncle jojo is doing great and that's all <laughs> you really need to know we're moving on all right well then let's move on it is fit february and we're talking about sex but in the positive way in all the fields we talk about sex positivity a little self-love on this here almost valentine's day week so anywho um i wanted to talk today about sex positivity because i think it is something that i didn't grow up with one i feel like it is more uh more than a buzzword but more of a just movement i hear a lot about sex positivity also um when it comes to parenting so there's this pod um this ig page i follow called the sex positive parents and it's just really talking about early having early conversations with your with your children age appropriate conversations but how to talk to them about um, about sex about their bodies etc they actually had a post recently that i thought it was um was interesting kind of talking about like how to talk to your kids about what it means to be transgender um, and what to say. And they just give just really interesting advice that I think, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago when Bianca was a wee tot, it, it wasn't, um, wasn't accessible to me. How do you define sex positivity? So when I think about sex positivity, Bianca, I think about all of the myths that surround sex. And I think about all the ways that we think about sex in a non-well, non-healthy way. And so for me, sex positivity is the absence of all of those things that we kind of throw onto it that make us feel shameful, are dirty, all of those things. So it's it's to me, it's more the absence of stuff, if that makes sense. That's the easiest way to describe it. I'm on a group chain with some very close friends, they, some of them, tend to be a lot more uh, sex in large quantities with large quantities of people and, and a variety of different activities. And sometimes some of the things that they discuss on this chain kind of run a little bit, you know, afoul of my sensibilities. And sometimes they'll say, oh, Isaiah, you don't, you need to be more sex positive. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's a difference between sex positivity and you people just wanting to be whores. Like those two are, those two things are not the same. And I'm going to need you to stop using sex positivity as your excuse to sleep with every man on, on your block. Cause that's not, that's not sex positive. That's just you being a whore. <laughs> Why are you, you were sounding given very southern church auntie right now you know what i mean but do, and, do you get, and yucking you get the people to do you agree because <laughs> this week maybe we can just start here do you agree that that's not sex positivity just using sex positivity as an excuse to sleep with as many people as you want that's those are two different things but i think it's sex positivity when you're doing so without shame so for someone to be able to openly express the fact that yes, they are they are a sexual being and they're having a lot of sex with a variety of different people and they are getting their whole life and they're enjoying it and they're not doing it um, from a space of shame, then perhaps that is sex positivity. Absolutely, 100%, but you're not really answering my question. Uh, if I don't, if I find that distasteful, then it's not, you can't say that I'm not being sex positive just because I don't need to have five loads inside of me at once. 
And y'all, that's not even an embellishment. These these girls out here are doing a lot, okay? But we so, are not gonna yuck their yum. That's not that's not I'm not yucking a yum. I'm just I'm just saying that if I find that undesirable, I don't need you to tell me that I'm not sex positive just because I don't need that many loads in me at once. What are, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? You wanna give the real definition? How do you how do you clean up after that? Girl, I'm not the one to ask. I don't. Who child? Sex positivity. <laughs> that just seemed messy. <laughs> anyway. And don't yuck yums, Bianca. You're yucking yums. I feel like it, it is not. So I think it's okay for you to say it is not for Isaiah Webster III. <laughs> Even if it is for them. <laughs> that part. Sex positivity is the idea that people should have space to embody, explore, and learn about their sexuality and gender without judgment or shame. So <laughs> I feel like your judgment is doing the opposite. <laughs> so it's not, it's not judgment because it, it's, you know why it's not judgment? Because I honestly don't care. Look, Everyone has their own bodies and I, you can, you can mm -hmm. truly do what you want with your body. And believe you me, but wonders, let me lean into the mic. Lean I in. honestly, I honestly don't care. Truly. <laughs> I can't, I can't put it to you any simpler than that. I don't care what you do with your body. You do you. So it's not about judgment. It's more about, for me, it's the why. So are you having sex for pleasure? Mm. Um, are, are, what, what is the why behind the example that I used? That's, and that's for me. And, and not that I need to understand everything that's not about Isaiah, but I would, I would like to have a deeper understanding of, of what this is about really, because in my experience, this is not about sex. It's about something else. Mm, okay. Okay. But if your friends are telling you that it is for the sheer pleasure that they are in enjoying uh, all of the loads, <laughs> then, then I think we, I don't know, I think that we should respect that, perhaps. Examples of sex positivity, um, are, a few of them are exploring your fantasies, enjoying the sensations in your body, communicating your sexual wants and needs to your partners, prioritizing a healthy sex life in relationships. Um, I'm going to skip over a few. Setting healthy sexual boundaries with yourself and others. Yes. Advocating for your own sexual health, using safer sex practices when needed, uh, addressing unhealthy sexual patterns such as compulsive or impulsive behavior. That's something as well. Accepting the consensual sexual behavior of others rather than judging. <laughs> Supporting laws, policies, and norms that ensure consensual sexual freedom rather than unhealthy restriction or repression. And finally, supporting comprehensive sex education in school. So from those lists, are there any that definitely stand out to you when you think about how you um, define sex positivity. The second one, enjoying the sensations in your body. I think that that's very important, knowing what you kind of like and how you communicate that to your partner. Developing a positive relationship with your body and body image. I think this is very, very important because I've seen how so many gay men in particular don't have a positive body image, particularly as we get older the, you know, I'm in my mid forties. A lot of my gay male friends are also in that same age bracket. Sometimes they'll say things like, 
oh, well, you know, we don't look the same way that we did when we were in our thirties. And I'm like, well, of course we don't. Why would, why is that even an expectation? Why would you expect men in their mid forties to look like men in their thirties? That doesn't make any sense. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Tell that to Madonna. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So it's like, why can't, why can't you, why can't you be comfortable in the body that you have and in the body that you're going to grow into because here's the thing Bianca you're never going to be able to look the same way you did when you were like that's that's just not going to happen so like you're setting yourself you're setting a very unrealistic expectation for yourself in my view if all you can think about is how you used to look because that's that's gone that's never coming back and as you get closer and closer to 50 it's absolutely not coming back and even if it does that's not the aspiration I think you should set Like even if let's say you, let's say at 50, suddenly you do look like you did at 30. Okay, good for you. But I don't think that that's a goal. I don't think that's a reasonable goal to set. Bianca does not look the way that she did (laughs) when she was 30. And I would definitely say these here titties (laughs) do not look. Let me lean into the mic real quick. Bianca had her first mammogram. It is not October. I am 40 now. I am taking care of my body. Um, it's not Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but I had my first mammogram. And I will say this to any of the wonders who may need a mammogram, it is not as awful as as people have described. I went into I went in there shooketh because I was hearing just horrible things about how it feels, what it's like all of that and i will tell you hands down it was not that it wasn't so if you should have a mammogram and you haven't had one and you have access to the resources or insurance to do so please please do that that's what you gotta do okay coming back to this i was thinking (laughs) about so two of the articles that I shared. One was how Black people are shifting attitudes around sexual well-being. And then the other one, which we'll share, comes from Afrosexology, which is a very cool website, by the way. Um, And that title is Reclaiming What It Means to Be a Sexual Black Woman. You know, I'm always thinking about Black folks, and it's February. But thinking about how we... I like the more sex positive space that we are in now and reclaiming um, our sexual expression and our joy, um, owning our sexuality and our bodies, because for so long and and still in a lot of ways, we are just not able to to do that generationally not able and not encouraged to do so, especially if you grew up in that their church where having a body or being aroused or wanting to have sex or however you are identifying. You're not supposed to do that, Bianca, unless you're procreating. I don't even know why you would even bring sex into the conversation <laughs> if it's not for having children. That's what the church says. I'm just, I'm just telling you. The church, so are you say. supposed to stop procreate? Are you supposed to stop having sex once you can? What if you could never procreate? Should you not have sex? Look, don't, don't make me defend <laughs> shit. I don't believe I'm just going to tell y'all like it is because I think y'all already know. According to most churches, and this is this is this is this cuts across denominations. It does. If you are not having sex with your married spouse for the express purpose of families, you're not supposed to be doing it, technically. So the elderly should not be having I, I don't think they're supposed to be, Anka. Oh my god. Wait, wait. And let me let me let me let me think about that for a second. Is there a provision 
mm. within because I was raised Southern Baptist. Is there a provision within the in within the gospel for married couples to have sex if they're not having sex for procreation? Because I thought that was didn't God and let me use my air quotes. Didn't God create <laughs> sex for procreation, not for pleasure? Um, some some say that God now, this definitely is where we wants... need to be specific. Who is some? <laughs> Some of our more forward-thinking sexologists, especially the Black ones, perhaps, say, like, if God didn't want us to have pleasure, like, why would a, a woman have a clitoris? That button is literally just for pleasure. Beep, 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 beep. Pleasure only. Okay. Okay. So then, so you're, so you're saying that the Bible is, is, is mis incorrect, because I, I, I think the Bible says... <laughs> that's all i'm not i'm just, I'm just repeating all the facts <laughs> to be to be fruitful and multiplying but again what if either you are at the age where you're no longer multiplying or <laughs> you cannot multiply then why do we have this good why do we got the button <laughs> suppressed to make things all hot inside i say all that to say i am glad that i am living in a time <laughs> Where there is um, there is language, there is encouragement, there is, and of course not everywhere. Let's be clear, but there is um, forward movement in the idea of us reclaiming our bodies and enjoying uh, sex for pleasure. I think especially for Black women who we have a history going back to when our ancestors were enslaved of being um, a lot of sexual trauma, quite a bit or even um, the way we over-sexualize girls or the way that we are seen as objects for pleasure, but not our own pleasure. And so I think now I'm happy to be more sex positive because I don't think I was always this way. I, I am growing up. <laughs> I'm growing up. And as somebody who's been having sex for a long time, I don't think I, realized it took a long time for me to want to have sex for pleasure for myself as opposed to again self-esteem and some more shit as opposed to making sure that my partner was good or doing things that only my my partner was wanted but i like the fact that one of the things an example literally in the list about um an example of sex positivity is communicating your sexual wants and needs to your partner and so i i definitely champion the idea of folks doing that of opening up that communication to make sure that they are receiving what they need even if it's multiple loads Yes. And, and if I'm being honest, I'm just going to keep going. I can't even imagine not doing that. So like, what are you doing if you're not telling your partner what makes you hot or what makes what what you want to get off? Like, I don't even understand how you can have sex with another person without, you know, communicating that because that's literally what it is. If you're if your needs aren't getting met, then you could just have sex by yourself. You don't have to you don't have to have sex with another person. They make really good toys. You got most people have two really good hands. So if you're having sex with another person, it needs to be a it needs to be a two way street because otherwise, can you just have sex with yourself? You can have a lot of sex with yourself, but I think also if it there could also be the idea, especially okay. Again, let's go back to church if if we if we are right. <laughs> okay, if you are raised if you are are raised um, in a church or in a church system that is telling you that one sex is only for procreation, not for pleasure 
then definitely why would I be telling my partner what what pleases me or what I like or enjoy? I'm literally supposed to just kind of lay there and take the things so I can make the babies. And or you are being taught that it is about pleasing your man. And I think I definitely, maybe not in my own house, but that whole idea that if you don't do it, another woman will, right? So again, not about what what we want or what makes our bodies feel good, but making sure that we are doing whatever the man wants so that he doesn't go out there and and find somebody else who will. That came up in that Preacher Son book we read, by the way. But it did. But also every once in a while, we stumble on a truism, but I think that's a truism in both directions. You don't think that that's true, not just for the man, but for the woman as well. If the Let's just take, let's do it the other direction because I think it's cleaner. If there's a woman who's not getting a need met with her husband and she's been clear about that need and he's not meeting it, she, you can expect that she, if she finds another partner who will meet that need, then that's, that's what's going to happen. So that's true, right? I don't know. I don't know if that's always true or or I can say that I don't know if I have. Yes, let's be clear, like it could go both ways, but I don't think I grew up hearing it in that context. It is it has been very much please your man. You have to please him. You have to do whatever he wants or he will go out and find somebody else. I I rarely and I'll say growing up or, or when I was sexually active, whatever heard it the other way like if he's not pleasing you go get it from somebody else well no. yeah yeah i mean i don't know i can't say that i have necessarily heard it that way but when i hear the way that you you said it it's always been implied to me okay well that same uh thought pattern can exist for all people man woman what have you we're all sexual beings or most of us are so yeah i get what you're saying about if the man doesn't get what he want at home, he can find it somewhere else. But that applies to every sexually active person. So even though that women weren't verbalizing that way, when I heard it, the Isaiah Webster ear heard it in all different directions. Like, okay, it's just, what is stopping her from doing the same thing? And when you think throughout history, you know, men have, have often had a wife and then a mistress. And, you know, they talk about this as it relates to like, you know, rich men in particular, royal men in particular, but I think that this exists throughout history. Are we to just assume that while these men were out having these mistresses, that these women were just sitting at home waiting for their man to return to them? I don't know if that's true, Bianca. Somewhere. <laughs> so well, that, I mean, well, that's on them. Look, look, Go if get they were sitting at home with a, <laughs> with a wet vagina waiting on some man that wasn't there, honey, that's, that's your fault. You are a that's your fault. <laughs> but I don't but historically I don't think we have put enough until now put enough value on the desire and the pleasure that women deserve and and should be receiving. And so it's it's if the man isn't happy then because we let's let's also again church right or just whatever this idea that that women are subservient to men right or the man is the provider and they need them and they you know what if they're divorced and they're shamed and just all of these things we're not looking at women as whole beings with needs and desires that they are also entitled to fair <laughs> fair i just i just you know 
I've always been surprised when I find out that someone's been having an affair for years and years and years and their their husband or their wife didn't know. I'm often uh, stunned when these when when I meet women who are married to men and they're like, you know what? He just wasn't giving me what I needed. And so I started having a relationship with a woman and because she was meeting a need that he wasn't meeting. And I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah. And it, it's not even necessarily, you know, sexual, but it's an intimacy. I'm getting something from her that I was not getting from him. And what I was trying to convey, Bianca, I think throughout history, throughout time, maybe it's not always a sexual affair, mm. but the idea that you're you have a need Mm-hmm. that's not being met by your primary partner and finding other partners, male, female, both to serve some of those needs. I think that that is fairly um, commonplace. And mm. I don't think that it's just the men doing it. Now, I think mm-hmm. that men uh, have been more open about it and society has been more okay with that. And religion kind of reinforces that to all the points you mentioned, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> sisters been doing it for themselves <laughs> under the table for for a long, long time. Let's be clear. So <laughs> Everything you just said. <laughs> Everything you just said. Literally what you just said about society being okay with it when when men when men do it, um, as opposed to women, because how dare they, right? So, so all that to say, because I feel like we went all around the world with this here topic. I just wanted to talk about being sex positive and not yucking yum. Uh, yes, and I apologize if I if, if people felt like some of my commentary today was yucking yums. That is not my intention, but I do feel like sometimes people use sex positivity as a placeholder mm. for just doing whatever they want to do. And in my I statement again, this is a show about my opinions. That's not it. Bianca disagrees, but and it would be interesting to know what the wonders think about that. Always. Um, because I would be, I would want to know what other people like to think about that too. To me, sex positivity is different than, oh, I want to do what I want to do, and then I'm going to call it sex positivity. Okay, wonders definitely tell us. Tell us what you think. I will definitely say that uh, last week's episode definitely sparked some conversations from the wonders. So I'm excited about our wonderisms because they have been in the inbox. So keep it coming so that we can share. We always want to know what you think if you know isaiah is giving you too much church auntie tell us <laughs> tell, tell us if i am um too understanding of the freak nasty foolishness tell us we want to know in this week's fit february gotta do we bring back the prince of hearts himself amari ice to teach us some things about hypnosis and how it can be used to improve our health and well-being Hello. Welcome Welcome back. back. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to say there aren't too many people that have been on here twice. I think you might be the fourth person. I am honored. That has been on here twice. So for us to be like, and I think we did it when we had you on before, like, oh, we have to come back to this, to this. One month. So now we are literally here for this to talk about, because when we read your bio, it's like hypnotherapist. Okay, funsies. Mm-hmm. What's <laughs> that? 
So we are doing um, a series of in February called Fit February. So, you know, we have Money May and Orgasmic October. Mm. And so this month's Gotta Do's are just really dedicated to a variety of ways that we want people to um, take care of themselves, to heal, to, to just be better, to get fit, whatever that looks like, mentally, emotionally, physically, all of that good stuff. So I felt like this slides in this this here hypnotherapy fits very well in fit february so to kick us off what the hell is hypnotherapy and how does it work because i'm curious and if you if you hypnotize me on this here zoom we gonna fight go ahead (laughs) (laughs) that is hilarious so first of all let's look at the two things there's hypnosis and then there's hypnotherapy right i'll I'll talk about hypnosis first so hypnosis is a normal state of mind that we all go into and out of every day and so it's it here's some examples of what it looks like so if you've ever been in the zone or in flow that's hypnosis if you've ever uh lost track of time doing anything reading a book watching TV, in the gym, listening to music, having sex. Anytime you lose track of time doing everything, you're in the hypnotic state. When you're driving and you're on autopilot and you're like, wait, I just got all the way home from work and I don't consciously remember any of that. That's also hypnosis. Yeah. And also anytime we're emotional, positively or negatively, we're also in the hypnotic state because uh, the, the subconscious mind, which is where the hypnosis takes us. So it's essentially the state where our subconscious is in the driver's seat and all of our emotions, all of our beliefs, all of our habits, all of our programming live in the subconscious mind, which controls about 95% of our lives. The conscious mind where discipline and willpower and all that lives only controls about 5% of our lives. And that's why when we make a conscious decision that contradicts our subconscious programming, the subconscious is going to win, but only 95% of the time. So that's hypnosis. When we are in that state where we're just in flow, we are totally present. And so in the case of driving on autopilot, you're still aware. You're still going to stop when there's a red light. You're still going to do all the things you need to do. You're just in a relaxed state of focused awareness. Okay. So that's hypnosis. Hypnotherapy is when we use that state for therapeutic purposes. So if you're listening to this and you're old enough to remember safe mode on like a PC, when you put the computer in safe mode, that's when you're able to actually update the programs. And that's also true about our brains. Unless we're in the hypnotic state, it's really hard to change beliefs, to change behaviors, to change our emotional patterns from a state of just being in our conscious minds. So that is what we do in hypnotherapy. It's, it's essentially we go into hypnosis and we do what we would normally do in talk therapy, plus some additional things that we can do, d- different activities. Um, but it's really about using the hypnotic state to get what you want out of life. That's hypnotherapy. B, you were going to say something? Yes, because I was going to ask then, well, we can kind of go into into more of the weeds of, of the actual process, because mm-hmm. I was going to say, but how do you put someone into that hypnotic state in order to then do the work? Oh, this is so fun. So often when we think of hypnosis, we're thinking the sunken place. We're thinking mind control. We're thinking please don't get inside my head. Like, that's not actually what it is. That's just the way it works on TV. Because, you know, we kind of got to make stuff really interesting to get people to watch. 
But in real life, hypnosis is not mind control. Like I said, it's a state we all go into and out of. And so when we are talking about hypnotherapy and working with a hypnosis professional, what we're really doing, all hypnosis is really self-hypnosis. And as a hypnotherapist, I'm giving my client instructions to take themselves into the hypnotic state. So it's not that I'm controlling them. I, I can't. In the same way that if you're on autopilot in a car, I can't tell you, hey, get into an accident now. Like, that's <laughs> not how it works, right? So even when we are in hypnosis, if there's something we don't want to do, we're not going to do it. If there's something that goes against our beliefs or our values, we're not going to do it. But when we do want to make change, that is when it's going to be really, really useful. So giving ourselves those instructions to help us relax and to help us get present in our bodies. Once we do that, then we can kind of talk about anything or shift any beliefs or behaviors. But the way that we start the process is always with what outcomes are you looking for? What's the behavior change you want to create, especially around behavior changes? Um, hypnosis is really effective. Um, also dealing with whether we're talking about anxiety or building confidence or improving your sleep or losing weight or quitting smoking. Like hypnosis is one of the most uh, powerful tools. And actually for people with PTSD, hypnosis is the top actual tool for managing and, and getting through PTSD. And so it's approved to use with like veterans, and like all that stuff. Like it's a, it's a medical modality, essentially, um, hypnotherapy specifically, which is different than entertainment hypnosis in Vegas. That's a different conversation. And for those of you who are probably like, wait, well, what's that? If it's not mind control, why are you doing all this crazy stuff? If you've ever been to a hypnosis show and I'm kind of like, messing up shows a little bit for y'all now so just be prepared that you're never going to see them the same but whenever you're going to use hypnosis for entertainment the first thing you'll always see a performer do is call for volunteers and i'll say like can i have two volunteers to come up on stage and say 50 out of the thousand people in the crowd will raise their hands and so what the person will do is say okay all of you who want to be volunteers come close to the stage right quick and then they'll give them some other instruction like, all right, now I just need you all to hop on one foot. And anyone who doesn't follow the instruction immediately, they tell them to sit down. So we haven't even given you instructions to take yourself into the hypnotic state. We want to see if you're already going to be a good time, if you was going to eat the slice of pizza out of the trash can for a dollar, even if we didn't have hypnosis involved, right? So we want people who already want the attention, who already want to participate, who already want to do that. And then those are the people that we choose to also put in hypnosis while we're going through the activities. That way it's going to be a great show. Because again, if you don't want to do something, you're not going to do it. And while being in the hypnotic state, you are relaxed, you're aware, you're concentrating. We, we aren't as resistant of things that we want to do, but we still will resist things that we don't. So again, if somebody doesn't want to follow your instructions, they're not going to do it. So you don't want to pick those people for an entertainment show. So yeah. And those are essentially the two criteria for any type of hypnosis. Are you willing to follow instructions? Are you capable of following instructions? And do you want to be hypnotized? Right? So those two things are essential. Because if you can't or don't want to follow instruction, no, no worries. You won't be able to go into the hypnotic state anyway, because you're not going to follow my instructions. And if you don't want to be hypnotized, great. <laughs> don't <laughs> but it's not this scary thing it's again normal state of mind we all go into it and out of it every single day
Interesting. So Amari, welcome back to the show. It's great to see you. Um, the only thing I know about hypnosis is through Dr. Marlena Evans from Days of Our Lives. And I'm not familiar with like the show that you just referenced, like in Vegas, but I get all of my hypnotic know-how from soap operas where they like put people <laughs> under, they watch a pendulum swing, they snap their fingers and they come out of it. Foolishness, fuckery and foolishness. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. I wanted to ask you about the myths that people might see in pop culture, in soap operas, in television. And I just want to know, as someone who is trained, what are what's the top line myth that you'd like to take this space to dispel? Ooh, can I give you three? <laughs> Absolutely. The we can always we edit out the ones about. we don't want to hear. Yeah, the first we already <laughs> talked about, which is the fact that hypnosis is not mind control. Like that is people think it is but it is not nobody can control you if they could we will all be doing what everybody else wants us to do already and we would be like broken under bridges right you're suggestible but you're not controllable when you're in hypnosis right suggestible just meaning i gave you a suggestion and you're willing to consider it that's it so that's the first myth it's it's not mind control is the fact the second thing is nobody uses a pendulum like again that's a tv thing <laughs> right there is no you are getting sleepy hypnosis is not sleep oh my god that no, was the best it's part not, of my it's also not relaxation right when serena is in the zone winning you know a u.s open she's not relaxed but she's in hypnosis she's in the pocket in the zone in her bag right that is hypnosis okay so it's not relaxation. It's not sleep. It's not mind control. You can use it for better sleep. You can use it for deep relaxation. And I actually have a um, hypnotic, a guided hypnotic meditation on my website. If people want to like check out some of those hypnosis resources, you can do that on the website um, under the romantic resources section. I think I have at least like four hypnosis resources. So yeah, that's there. Um, the third myth that I would bust around hypnosis. I feel like you about to spill some tea or get real honest. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm leaning in, friend. Go ahead. <laughs> Lean on in. Okay. This is like a sub point of the mind control piece, but people tend to think that if you practice hypnosis, it's somehow like, I don't know, witchcraft or... Like it's some woo-woo thing. People people think hypnosis is a woo-woo methodology, but it's not. Again, like your doctor refers people to me for hypnosis, right? When modern medicine, when the normal everyday solutions that get recommended to people aren't working, right? When you find yourself getting in your own way, when you try everything and nothing is giving you the results, that's often when people go to hypnosis because it's so effective that it's ridiculous that it's not more integrated in our society. And here's what I mean. So the way I even got involved in hypnotherapy, I was looking for a therapist for myself, right? And so I just did a little research. What type of therapist is the best, right? Like, do I, what are the different methodologies? Does one matter? Like, I, I didn't, I didn't really know enough about therapy to just be like, oh, I know exactly who I'm hiring for this. So I wanted to do a little research. And I found this meta study that compared all the different 
available studies on the different types of therapy, their effectiveness um, and efficacy, like all that stuff, right? And here's what I found. You had uh, psychoanalysis, which is like, you know, the Freud stuff and <laughs> all of that was about 20, 22% effective after 600 section, sessions. And I was like, oh, no, nah, we're not doing that. Like, that's a very low effectiveness rate and way too many sessions. Who has time for that? And then cognitive behavioral therapy. So modern day, like talk therapy falls into this category was about 75, 78% effective after 22 sessions. And that's about like, you know, one session a week for six months, for example, um, when we're focused on one particular goal, which cool. I was like, great, sounds good. And then I saw hypnotherapy, 93% effective after, get this, six sessions. And as a relatively elder millennial, I was like, oh yeah, let's do that. Let the microwave version, six sessions, 93% effective. I'm all in for that. Let's give it a shot. So I happened to know a hypnotherapist who published a book through the same company my first book is published through. And so I contacted her just to like answer some questions and stuff. And I ended up working with her and friends. It was so life-changing that I was like, Hold, wait, can we curse on here? Because the, the a word was about to come out. I was like, always, always, always. I have to we like send it. send all of my clients to you because this totally changed my life, right? And remember, I told you all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So her response to me was, you know what? You're really good at this. You should consider becoming a hypnotherapist yourself. And I was like, ooh, you know what? I should consider that. You know what? I've considered it. Let's do it, Okay. So now I've integrated hypnotherapy into the, the practice that I have working with singles, helping them master the romantic magic and develop dating skills and heal subconscious patterns of self-sabotage and all the things. So I teach all of my clients self-hypnosis, which is different in a, a, a bit different from working with a hypnotherapist to help you. So think of it like going to therapy versus self-therapy, right? It's always going to be more effective if you're working with a practitioner, a lot faster results, right? But there are certain things you can do on your own, like a daily meditation practice, um, but it's self-hypnosis, right? So I teach all of my clients that self-hypnosis practice that they can implement into their own lives. Um, and we also do additional things too. But yeah, my results just like skyrocketed <laughs> after that. You know, I'm helping people do lots of different things. My specialty is self-confidence. So when we think about like dating or getting a new job or public speaking, like confidence is what sells everything. Like the reason we're so attracted to people is often their level of self-confidence. And so it's huge for dating. So my hypnosis practice is focused still on um, love and romance primarily. Every once in a while, I get a client. I'm like, yeah, I'll work with you. It's not about relationships specifically, but you know, if somebody's a fit to work with me, I love helping people in general. So I do other things too. You touched upon this a little bit. Talk a little bit about the training that's needed to do this. And particularly if the Wanders are listening to this segment and this is something they want to try, what should what sort of experience and um, should they be looking for in a potential hypnotherapist? Yeah. So what's really cool about hypnotherapy, the training is pretty intense. So our, our expertise is essentially in all things subconscious 
and emotion and all of that. And so it's not like this quick training. It's at least a hundred hours, like any other, you know, regular certification. Like it, it's hours and hours of training, really intense, really rigorous, but also so fun and relaxing and interesting. Cause if you can imagine going through hypnotherapy training, you also have to practice being hypnotized too. So with your classmates, you're helping each other um, learn the process. And, and one other interesting fact is that um, all hypnotherapists, in order to help you go into the state, we have to be in hypnosis too. So you're not a hypnosis and we're not. We're both in hypnosis together throughout the entire process. So you're learning what that feels like, how to recognize it, all those different things in a very practical way when you're going through um, hypnotist training, right? So there are, I won't say a lot, there are a handful of certifying bodies um, for hypnotherapy. So uh, I'm certified through the National Guild of Hypnotists. Um, and there, there are other bodies and things too. But yeah, so if you're considering becoming a hypnotherapist or hypnotist, and this is uh, the language is different based on where you live. So in some states, they're called hypnotherapists, and some states, they're just called hypnotists. Right. And so you can be um, a certified hypnotist. You could be a certified hypnotherapist. Like there, there are different names depending on where you live. Um, so don't think if someone says I'm a hypnotist, they're talking about stage. Nah, not necessarily. Um, but yeah, the training is rigorous. You can also go into different specialties. So there's the general training. I'm a master hypnotist. And you can also add additional focus areas. So there's hypnosis for pain specifically, which require you to take a bit more in-depth training. So this is like how to get surgery without needing anesthesia, because you can go into such a deep level of hypnosis that you don't feel the pain of surgery. So you can stay awake the whole time, or maybe you're dealing with chronic pain. Maybe a client was in a car accident or something. You can also get hypnosis to manage pain as well. Uh, there's there's so many possibilities. There's almost nothing that you can't use um, hypnosis to assist you with, especially when we're talking about dealing with our beliefs, our behaviors, our emotions, and our bodies. When you just mentioned the specialties, it just reminded me of, I had a f colleague many, many, many years ago who um, had a hypnobirth. And because she had a lot of anxiety around it was going to be her second child, I believe, but she had a lot of anxiety because of, I think, some trauma that had happened in her first, first birthing experience. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, oh, how about you try this? And um, hypnobirthing, she said, changed her life. Like just being in um, that, also that state of, of calm and relaxation and just the way that it removed so much anxiety that she had. She was like, child, I blinked and that baby was here. <laughs> and so I think just as you mentioned, all of the um, ways that it can be used, mm -hmm. who would you say then is the ideal since there's so many ways it can be used who's the ideal candidate for hypnotherapy are there some people who should just shouldn't do it or you wouldn't advise so i'll answer the who is a good candidate first 
and this is kind of two different groups. One, if you've been struggling to make changes in your life and you can't figure out what you're doing wrong or why it's not working, especially if you already know what to do. So like you've been trying to lose weight and you know you need to eat less and exercise more, but for whatever reason, you keep like sabotaging your progress. Hypnosis is such a great tool for that. And, that, and that's any other thing. So I mentioned like quitting smoking, um, dealing with dating anxiety, right? Like birthing anxiety, any of those things. If you're struggling with something and nothing else is working, this is usually the thing that will definitely work. And then on the other side of that is you don't have to wait until you're struggling and it's not working. So people who really want to excel fast. So when you think about like Olympic athletes, um, top level CEOs, professional celebrities, people who are at the top of their game often hire hypnotists, hypnotherapists to help them reach the, the heights of their productivity. Because when we think about being our best, being in the zone, being in flow all the time, that is really about getting out of our own way so that we can operate at you know max efficiency. And so hypnotherapists are often the first people that high performers call to help them either become high performers or reach next levels of high performance. So those are the two categories. If you're really, really struggling, or if you really want to go far fast, because again, 93% effective, six sessions, like nothing is faster than hypnotherapy. Those are the, the primary, uh, if either of those are true for you, definitely consider hypnotherapy. And of course, other everyday things too. Maybe I'm not struggling with sleep, but I just want to sleep better. Maybe I'm not struggling with weight loss, but I know I don't want to struggle either. I don't want to get to the point where I'm at rock bottom before I figure out what to do about this. So yeah. And then who would not be a candidate is anyone who isn't able or willing to follow <laughs> instruction. And, and sometimes, you know, we might be interested and we're like, oh, hypnosis sounds interesting, but like, I am terrified. Like, I don't, understand how this works, like all the different myths that we might have, like it's mind control, just have a consultation with a hypnotherapist or actually research hypnotherapy and don't go on like Reddit boards, like look at, <laughs> you know, legitimate sources that discuss how it works. Um, because often what keeps us in a place of fear around anything is just a lack of understanding, right? We fear what we don't understand. And once we get how it works, that fear usually dissipates pretty immediately. You fear what we, we fear what we don't understand. If that's not a word, <laughs> that is absolutely a word. Isaiah, what I'm you a part-time Zoom preacher. I, well, come on, church. <laughs> it's amazing to me how negative connotations become attached to something in certain communities and and how Bianca opened this conversation about about clarifying I'm, I think it was Bianca maybe it was you that said this is not which one of y'all said this is not witchcraft this is Me. not the devil I don't know what I don't know where that came from because I feel like that would even be a stretch even for like television and pop culture mm -hmm. I think that um it's a it's fascinating to me how things that are completely innocent and therapeutic can sometimes get this um just this taint to it uh amari i want we do want to ask you about uh resources and books so you know we have a book club here we always try to speak from either you know news articles that are credible or sources that we can direct people to so when it comes to hypnotherapy 
what sources or books do you think uh, would be important to share with others? The first book that comes to mind might sound like it has nothing to do with hypnosis, but it actually has everything to do with hypnosis. Because again, our emotions are the language of the subconscious mind. And when we're struggling with anything, it's often because we're not honoring our emotions because each emotion tells us exactly what we need. It's like a, the, the indicator light in the car, you know, the check engine light or the you need gas light, girl, right? All of our uncomfortable emotions tell us a very specific need. But if we don't understand the language of emotions, we tend to ignore our emotions. We think they're worthless. They're pointless. They're, they're bad. They make us bad if we're feeling them. And so the more we ignore our emotions, the more we don't get our needs met. And then we end up in a state of frustration, depression, or whatever, because we've been walking around with all these pent up unmet needs and unvalidated emotions. So the first book I recommend um, is called The Secret Language of Feelings, Cal Banyan. So he um, is one of my mentors. Um, but yeah, also a hypnotherapist and trains hypnotherapists and all the other uh, modalities and things. But that book, it's a very easy read, like a fifth grader could read the book, but so useful, so impactful in terms of that emotional conversation. And also like as a, I won't call it a primer to hypnotherapy necessarily, because it's not like, oh, this is what happens in hypnosis. But this is what happens in hypnosis. We really get at the the core root of the uncomfortable emotion that is the foundation of the behavior that we want to change or that we want to sustain. Because one of the things that people don't always recognize is emotion is the source of motivation for everything that we do. And so if we can identify what emotions are causing us to not be motivated to do the things or which ones are um, causing us to take action that doesn't serve us, then we can easily find a solution to neutralize that and get those needs met. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, I don't know if y'all really want to go here or not, but in terms of our community is in like black and brown communities and access to resources and tools for empowerment. Like I mentioned earlier, people who are really in that high performance state of life are hiring hypnos hypnotists and hypnotherapists. And traditionally, like black people, brown people haven't had access to tools and resources that really empower them. And so another function of fearing what we don't understand is we also end up having this misperception of things that will get us exactly where we want to go. And we tend to see tools of empowerment as witchcraft or there's some like judgment or no, I'm not doing that, that we kind of culturally condition ourselves and our families and our children to believe. And it's, it's like this, um, it's like a self-perpetuating culture of disempowerment that we sometimes have because even when we are exposed to a resource, we don't do the next level of investigation to even ask the question, if this can be good for me, we automatically say, I don't know what this is, so it's a no. And this is one of the things that, you know, as somebody that didn't grow up with wealth, then access and we did grow up in poverty when I was a kid and things were really hard like a thousand percent this is one of the most life-changing tools I've ever experienced and so yeah just giving ourselves the opportunity to even investigate what could be good for us as 
you know, a way for us to then get to those next levels that we desire to get to, or, you know, get out of the situations that might not serve us or that don't empower us. So definitely check it out. <laughs> <laughs> because, because there's so many layers to that, right? Like just so not, not having the resource and access or, fear of the unknown or generational curses that say you shouldn't try this or this or this or don't do this because that's not of God or just all of those things that yeah. imagine if we as black and brown people had always had the access or encouraged or you know knew about or shared that information also just how much more powerful and empowered and whoo Absolutely. And and one really interesting point about that is ancestrally, historically, when we think about Native American communities, African communities, hypnosis and hypnotic routines are a part of those cultures, mm. right? Just already. But when we leave our roots, when we unlearn the ways that nurtured and sustained us then we start to see things that were actually ours as somehow foreign not realizing that we aren't in our homes mm -hmm. <laughs> right on that cultural emotional energetic level like we aren't as connected to those tools that did give us what we need that did nurture and feed us and this is one of those tools it's not some new thing that was randomly discovered by some random person like this is a part of us again 95 percent of our lives is controlled by the subconscious and the hypnotic state is when the subconscious has that free reign to to do what it needs to do so that we thrive my last question um whew. um hypnosis for children or young people is that a thing what does that look like and it's it's one of those specialties because okay. again you have to be willing to follow instruction so there's some different uh pathways to get younger kids to be able to do that now here's the other thing until we're about seven roughly a hundred percent of our experience is subconscious right our our frontal lobes don't really start to develop that's the conscious mind and everything that's responsible for it don't really start to develop until we're seven and that's not when they're fully developed that's when it starts right so before that we're pretty much just sponges for beliefs for behaviors for perspectives um, and that's why we learn so fast because we, we just absorb things through osmosis so there are certain tools and techniques and and a specialized uh hypnotherapist will work with kids so everybody doesn't work with kids like me, I'll only work with adults. And technically, we could say like 16, right? Um, with parental consent for me, but I'm also not uh, specialized or focused in working with younger kids. But that is something that um, other hypnotherapists do. Well, if and if it's all predicated on them following instructions, obviously this would not apply to Noah and Grace. Since see, now I was just about to say you're petty because I was about to say Amari. Um, better yet, Uncle Amari, you guys, Disney's a nephew over here. You can come hypnotize anytime you want to. Yeah. No, and and let me no, let me clarify. No. There's hypnosis, and then there's hypnotherapy. Mm. We can do hypnotic things right? right like I can teach them some games I can teach them some relaxation techniques but I wouldn't do hypnotherapy with them so it's the the therapeutic use of hypnosis 
for youth that is a specialty, but just like general, hey, friends, let's all relax and have a good time. Like we can do that with anybody. Fair. Okay. You can come do that still though, because they need to relax. <laughs> I just want to know, we've been in hypnosis this whole time. We done lost track of time. We're having a we're laughing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting and insightful, like all those things. This is hypnosis. This is why we get caught up in our favorite shows or in our favorite books. We just, we, we become a part of it. So mm. it's not even a doing to me as much as it's like a co-created experience. You are just, yeah, so many things. Um, thank you for coming back. Thank you for bringing this here wisdom because I learned so much in this, what, 30 <laughs> minutes that we have talked. So I really appreciate it. How can um, folks, of course, find out about you, all of the amazing things that you do? Give us the deets. Yeah, uh, social media-wise, the best place to get in touch with me is Instagram, and that's at Prince Amari. So Prince spelled the normal way, P-R-I-N-C-E. Amari is A-M-A-R-I. And then if you want to check out those resources on my website, it's amarimeanslove.com. Because Amari means love. Of course it does. Of course it does. Of course it does. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on and just sharing this wisdom with us and the wonders. Yeah, thanks for inviting me back. It was so fun. We're going to find another reason. I think next time we got to talk about the Kobe index because that is a game changer for personal productivity, relationship dynamics, teamwork, conflict, like everything you want to do, instincts, confidence, getting shit done and doing it in a way that is actually in flow for you. Speaking of hypnosis and being in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. My friend, that's, that's conversation three. Done. Say no more. <laughs> Little fun fact. I like learning, but I don't like school. Okay, let's start there, right? Fair. But I will definitely go to courses and get certifications and things that are fascinating and interesting. And I got certified in the the Kobe Index because it's such a game changer. And it's also been another tool that totally changed my life. So little little preface for the next conversation. Good to know. Thank you so much. Amari Ice, the Prince of Hearts. Good to see you. Come back anytime. Anytime. Will do. I'll be back. (laughs) Thanks, Amari. Thank y'all. You going to wrap us up? Yes. So as a reminder, make sure you're reading with us. The book for February is The Dream Dictionary by Eric Aykroyd. We're discussing the book on February 25th. And we're asking you to document your dreams before you read the book, because it's really going to be an essential part of it. If you're reading The Dream Dictionary, but you're not actually using it to define your dreams, it kind of defeats the point. So you really have to document your dreams so that when you read the dictionary, you'll have something to look up. Bianca, I'm looking at you. What you need to know this week is that President Joseph R. Biden of Delaware did the things. He's on top of it. So is Cousin Kamala. They're doing great. That's all you need to know. That's State of the Union. What you need to feel this week is that even though I'm trying to be all buttoned up and traditional over here, going out there and be sex positive, have a, as many loads as you need or you want. That's okay. Bianca, Bianca says do it. And what you got to do is remember to consider hypnotherapy and to reach out to the resources that our guest Amore Ice The Prince of Hearts is directing you to check out our social media and the description of this show for how to get in touch with him and the resources. You may have noticed that last week's episode was not out at its normal time. And a couple of the wonders actually reached out to us and be like, hey, 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 where y'all at? 
where's my show? <laughs> well, child, sweetie, me and Ed were on a little, you know, vacay in Florida and I was just busy. I'm gonna leave it at that because I'm trying to be cleaner on this show. I was busy and I was a little bit behind in my editings. And so it got out a little bit later, but suffice it to say, every Saturday, you're gonna get it. Sometimes nine, sometimes 1130, but you know what? You're gonna get it. You're gonna get what you get. <laughs> I love that the wonders were like, are y'all okay? Because it's 11 o'clock and it's still not here. So I'm sorry to mess up your flow and we will try to keep it closer to 9 a.m. moving forward because we, we want you to know when to expect it because some of you have routines. I know some of y'all drink your coffee and you listen to it and all the rest. So we're going to try to keep it at its normal slot. But yes, that was what happened. Sorry. I'm Isaiah Webster. I am Bianca down for whatever award <laughs> thank you for listening and we are out